you would take your Bibles and turn in them to Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, it's in the bulletin for you as well, and you're welcome to follow along there with these first 13 verses. It's the same passage that we read last Sunday, and as I said last Sunday, this is one of those stories about Jesus that is just so rich and so full of, of lessons for us that it just wasn't enough to spend one week there. We had to do two weeks in this passage. <clears throat> so I'm going to read these words, Luke 4, 1 through 13, and let me ask if you are able, would you please join me in standing as we hear God's holy word read to us. Luke 4, starting in verse 1. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. The devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me. And I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Lord, we're thankful to hear your word. What a gift we have in the scriptures that you have given to us. And we pray now, uh, Lord, that it will accomplish your purposes as you say that it will. We pray that by the power of your spirit, you would teach it to us. You would press it on our hearts. You would cause it to take root. You would cause it to find good soil. Lord, that it might take root, grow, and produce fruit in our lives. That we might not only hear the word of God, but that we might believe it, trust in it, Obey it and produce fruit because of it. Lord, we ask these things uh, in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Please be seated. Today we're going to talk about something you are very familiar with. And I know that you are because this is a reality that is common to human experience for every one of us who has lived in this world. And I'm talking about the reality of temptation. The reality of temptation, it's the most common of human experiences. Each one of us may feel that you have a unique set of temptations or that your temptations are somehow different from others, that they are compounded by your circumstances. But everyone faces temptations. In fact, the scripture tells us there is no temptation that has overcome you except what is common to man. And God is faithful in the midst of them. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Temptation is part of life in this world. It's part of the common human experience. And this passage that we read is so helpful for us in that sense. We all face this. We all deal with it. The particular sins to which we are tempted may be different than those that your neighbor is tempted by. 
But we all are tempted. We all are tempted. Today I want to first point out the reality of temptation and just what that teaches us. Let's reflect on just the, the existence of temptation, the fact that we are tempted. What do we see in that? And then also to talk about these three specific temptations that Jesus faces when he is wandering in the wilderness, fasting before the Lord. But before we get into those specifics, I just want to consider for a moment the reality of temptation. The the fact that this exists, that there is such a thing as temptation in this world for us, that our hearts are tempted, uh, think about what this teaches us. And I want to point out a couple of different things. First, number one, uh, the reality of temptation, it teaches us first that, that there is a standard of obedience that we as believers are called to strive for. There is a standard of obedience that we are called to strive for. Right? And, and I'm always a little sensitive about this because you know, we live in this culture in which uh, Christians are often uh, thought of as stuffy, rule-oriented, right? regressive. We have these, these weird high standards that no one else agrees with. And I, and I really hope we're none of those things. But the truth is God calls Christians to live a holy life. Right? The fact that we are tempted... To, to not do that, we're tempted to sin, only reinforces the fact that this is true, that there is a standard to which we're called to strive for. First Peter says it this way, says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, and as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. As he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. So we recognize first that, that, that there's this standard. I think one of the clearest verses, again, is it's Romans 12. It says, after, he spends 11 chapters in the book of Romans explaining the gospel, explaining the grace of God that has come to us in Christ and what it all means. And then chapter 12 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy... Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. In light of 11 chapters of doing this deep dive into the grace of God and the gospel, he says, therefore, let us give our lives to God as an act of worship. Let us walk as he would have us to walk. Let us follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Let us live holy lives. That's the first reality that temptation reminds us of, is that, yes, we are called to live for Jesus. But there's a second thing. The reality of temptation also teaches us that we are tempted to disobey, right? And that's, that's kind of obvious, but we have to acknowledge that, right? We are called to live holy lives, but we are tempted in the midst of that to disobey. <coughs> if God wanted, I suppose he was perfectly at liberty to set up the world in such a way <coughs> that when we are saved, in that very moment, we could also be fully and completely sanctified. Fully and completely made new into the image of Jesus, with no temptations, no sins, we would just immediately begin to live holy lives. But he didn't. (laughs) He didn't do that. We all know, but have you ever wondered why? What is the wisdom in God's mysterious providence wherein he decided that sanctification for his children would be a process? And it would be a long process and a slow process, a process of growth one step at a time, 
a process of growth in which we find ourselves constantly tempted, perhaps, to go backwards, to regress. And yet we set our minds on obeying the Lord, resisting temptation, learning to be discerning. Right? We have to learn that every desire that we feel is not a desire that we ought to act on. It's not all good. We have to learn to distinguish. We have to differentiate. We have to... Uh, be in God's word to inform our conscience what is good, what is bad, how do we live like Jesus. Every day we face these choices. Right? Every day we face choices. Every day we face temptations. We have to make a decision. Two paths. One is pleasing to God, one is not. One is helpful and good for us, one is not. And every day as believers, we're walking this path of discipleship. Every day as believers, there are decisions to be made. Right? We commit ourselves over and over again every day to doing the right thing and yet we also recognize every day we fail right we we will be tempted and we will fail <coughs> and yet we make these uh, we we face these decisions right and we commit ourselves saying yes the path of discipleship is a path of obedience to the lord and it is a lifetime effort that we face number 3 the reality of temptation teaches us that God is at work in your life. Right? It may seem to be a, a depressing theme to talk about temptation, and all we're doing is focusing on the sin, but the reality is, if we are being tempted, that means something. It means that underneath that, God is at work in your life. As frustrating as the temptation can be, it's part of this greater reality that God has begun a good work in you that he will most certainly bring to completion. Right? The fact that that temptation is frustrating for us, the fact that we struggle against these things, right? That there's a fight, there's a battle within us. That means that God is doing something. There's temptation, yes, but we also see the hand of God at work that Jesus has redeemed us, he has renewed us, he has reconciled us. Right? He has, in that, he's, he's transferred us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Because if there's never any struggle in your life, right? If temptation never bothers you at all, Perhaps that means you're not a Christian at all if there's, if there's never a sense of struggle between right and wrong because usually it means you're just always giving in to do the wrong. The fact that we struggle with temptation, right? be encouraged by that. Be encouraged by that struggle. Be encouraged by the difficulty of the battle that it means, yes, Jesus is at work. His spirit is doing something in your life. And beyond that, here's the fourth one. In the reality of temptation, we have help. We have help for us in the midst of the temptation, and this is very important. Because it, it's not, we can't just be glib in talking about temptation. As though this is just a small thing that none of us will ever struggle with, uh, that none of us. Excuse me, just didn't, wasn't comfortable. Now, where was I going? We have help. Right? Temptation is frustrating. Temptation can feel very difficult. But we have help in the midst of it. And this is so important for us. Temptation is hard. We often fail. Right? We have to acknowledge that. that uh, this is not something we talk about glibly because we're in this battle together and we often fail in the midst of temptation. Sometimes you might even be tempted to despair that the same temptation comes to you over and over again, every day, right? And it's the same thing. 
and you say, why can I never get over this? Why can't I get beyond it? Why can't I overcome it? You feel weak. You say, I, I just don't have the strength to do this. I don't have the willpower. And, and I just fail. And, and you're tempted to just give up and say, why even struggle against it? We know we should resist, but it's difficult. What can we do? Well, the scripture gives us good news on this account. We're not doomed to constantly rely only on your own willpower. Right? Temptation and the battle of temptation is not a question of your strength. It's not a question of your sanctification or your holiness because the Bible says we have help in the midst of temptation. You are not alone in this. <coughs> First, we have help because Jesus helps us. Right? The, the Bible is very clear that Jesus helps you. And Hebrews says, the reason he helps you says because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Which is the very thing going on in this passage. Jesus himself is being tempted by the devil. I have no idea what this looks like, but here they're both here in the wilderness, side by side, this cosmic battle that is going on in the desert. The devil himself tempting Jesus. What an amazing reality to even contemplate that this is going on the second person of the Trinity, being tempted by the devil. And this means that Jesus was tempted. Right? The temptation itself is not a sin. Giving in to the temptation might lead us to sin. But just being tempted, Jesus was tempted, as we are tempted as well. And because of that, he knows how to help you in your temptations. And I want to ask, is that the way you think of Jesus when you're being tempted? that he's your brother beside you, that he's encouraging you, spurring you on, he's helping you. It's easy to fall into this trap, especially in the midst of temptation, when uh, you're being tempted and you think, you just have this image of Jesus as the harsh schoolmaster, right, who's peering down from on high, just waiting for you to trip up, just waiting for you to fail, and then he's going to let you have it. In reality, what the Bible says is Jesus is not pictured as the harsh schoolmaster waiting to judge us. He is the brother in the trenches with you. He is the one who can say to you, yes, I've been here before. I know the terrain. I've done this before. I know how it goes. I've been here. I know how you feel. Right? Because he suffered and was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. He's the one who has walked this road before. That's why this is such a helpful and encouraging passage for us, right? Because Jesus is not the one who's just way up there in heaven with no idea what you experience. He has done what you are going through as well. I remember uh, five years ago now when Ezra was in the hospital and here he was, you know, this was this hard and confusing time and uh, he was diagnosed with this really weird disease that, that even Aubrey as a doctor hadn't even heard of before and we didn't know anyone else with this and there was this loneliness involved. But it didn't take long before we found that naturally there is a Facebook group for that. Right? And there's a whole group dedicated to people who either have that condition or their kids have that condition. And all of a sudden we found there's this whole community out there of people who know exactly what we're going through. Right? Down to the very details the same condition, the same medications, the same schedules, the same frustrations. And that was so encouraging to us. Right? That just kind of opened up this whole new experience to say, we don't walk this alone. 
right? We're not here all by ourselves suffering in a way that no one else in the world suffers, that there are people around, around us who have gone through this before. And we could look to them and we could ask their experience and we could say, what did you do when this came up? Right? And what the Bible is saying to us here is when you go through temptations, you are never alone. Right? The hardest part of temptation is this sense of isolation that, that I alone suffer like this. Right? No one else deals with this the same way I do. And the scripture says, because Jesus has been tempted, he's able to help those who are being tempted. Some say that because Jesus never gave in to temptation, that he doesn't really know what it's like. He can't really help. He doesn't really have the same experience because we experience it as something we're regularly failing at, right? Jesus never failed. Maybe he doesn't really know what it's like, but that actually, when you think about it, that doesn't make any sense. You know, if you were, for instance, a, a baseball player and you had been given an offer, a very generous offer to be coached by this excellent, excellent baseball player, would you turn that down and say, no, I'm a bad baseball player. I need a bad coach who understands what I'm going through. Right? You're too good. You don't understand what it's like. That makes no sense at all. You want the best coach you can get. Right? You want a good coach. And here, it says Jesus knows temptation. In fact, Jesus knows the full weight of temptation because he resisted the entire time, right? We, we make it a little ways, and then we fail. Jesus made it past where we make it to, all the way past where we make it to. He knew more weight of temptation than we'll ever experience because he made it all the way without failing and giving in to sin. So that's our first help. We actually have two helps here. Number one is we have the help of Jesus in our temptations. We also have the scriptures. We have the word of God. And that turns out to be one of the clearest lessons in this passage we read in Luke. Jesus does not resist temptation by his own willpower alone. What is he doing? He is wielding the word of God as a weapon by which he is resisting temptation. What does Jesus say in this passage? He actually has no words of his own other than it is written. Right? Everything he says is quoting directly from scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy three times in a row to the devil, each one a perfect response to the temptation being pressed on him. And you know what that makes me think? That makes me think I need to know Deuteronomy a lot better than I currently do. Right? Because here is Jesus tempted by the devil. These are uh, acute temptations and he resists them by the power of quoting Deuteronomy. That's his go-to strategy. Right? In the midst of temptation, what does he do? He's not reasoning with himself. Right? Well, if I give in, this would happen. If I don't... You know, he's not reasoning. He's not logically walking this through. He's not calling an accountability partner. Good, good ideas that, that might be. Jesus' go-to strategy is he knows the word of God and he applies the word of God to his own heart in these times of temptation. Right? He calls it to mind and he uses it. Which means if we don't, if we don't know Deuteronomy, or any of the scriptures for that matter, we're just going into temptation unarmed. Right? We have no defense. I think it was last week, Naomi was memorizing a Bible verse, Psalm 119.11. 
which says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's the purpose. That's one of the reasons that we have the scriptures is that they help us. They inform us. They help us to resist temptation. Uh, One of the best things to do in a time of temptation is to meditate on the word of God. Call it to mind. There's power in the word of God. Right? It's, it's, it's living, it's active, it's powerful, it helps us, it protects us. I recently heard a minister who, who used the following statistics by way of illustration. He said, uh, and this was according, I believe, to a Canadian study, he said, when people go to the doctor and they get a prescription, right, they're given something that is going to help them get better, it's going to help them feel better, it's going to restore them to health, something has bothered them enough that they go to the doctor and they get a prescription, and yet according to the studies, one-third of people who are given a prescription will never fill that prescription. They don't even get the medicine. Of the people who do, this two-thirds who do, about half of them will get the prescription, but they won't take it. They'll just get it and they'll never take it. Only about a third of people will actually get a prescription, fill the prescription, and take the medicine. According to some studies, they say people are actually more likely to fill a prescription and to be faithful in giving that prescription to one of their pets than they are to themselves. Isn't that ridiculous? It's so bizarre that here people are sick, they're given something to help, and they don't use it. And I just want to, you know go on about how crazy these people are until I realize, don't we do the same thing in the midst of temptation? God has given us his word, which is powerful to help in times of temptation. He's given me Jesus, who is powerful to help in the time of temptation. And what do I do? Am I the one who leaves that prescription lying on the counter and never fills it? Am I the one who fills that prescription but never does anything with it? Right? We all have this same tendency. Now, let's look at Jesus' temptations in this passage. There's three temptations. I suspect we know them. We've read this passage before. But let's look at each of them quickly. The first temptation is in verses 2 through 4, and I call it the temptation of self-sufficiency. The temptation of self-sufficiency. Here is Jesus. He's been in the wilderness for 40 days, and he's fasting. And the Spirit has led him into the wilderness. It's led him to do this. Fasting in obedience to Jesus for 40 days. And he's hungry. He has got to be very hungry. Satan comes and suggests that he turns some of the stones into bread. Now here's the temptation. And this is an easy one, I think, for us to, to feel the weight of that temptation and how powerful that would be. I have trouble resisting a snack after a couple hours of not eating. Jesus has been fasting 40 days. And Satan says, you could turn those stones into bread, you know. And he can. Right? There's, there's nothing hard about that for Jesus. That's easy enough for him to do. It's well within his ability. And, and in fact, we might say, turning stones into, food, into, into bread, in itself, that's not a temptation. Or a sin, rather, right? There's no, there's no law, thou shalt not turn stones into bread. So the act itself is not a sin. Where is the sin in this? 
I think the sin in this passage, the temptation, it's all in the context. The Spirit has led Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting. <coughs> He's doing this as an act of obedience to the Lord, and, and the temptation now is to provide for himself without any consideration of what the Lord would want. Right? Without any consideration of his commitment of obedience to God. He's being asked here to ignore that commitment, ignore what the Spirit has led him into the wilderness to do, and simply do what is best for himself, right? what feels good for him. And so Jesus quotes to him, Deuteronomy 8.3, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now here's what Jesus is saying, I think, is that having bread is great, but walking in obedience is far more important. Right? We don't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the Father. Or we might say it this way, even for ourselves, that, that yes, providing for your needs, it's good, it's important, but it must never be done in a way that's dishonoring to God. Providing for our needs, whatever that may look like, it's good, it's necessary, but it must never be done in a way that compromises our commitment to obedience to the Lord. Because don't, don't we feel that same temptation? Not to turn stones into bread literally, but, but we have that temptation to do something to provide for ourselves, right? to meet our needs in a way perhaps that is not honoring to God. We only think about what we want or what we need, and we forget perhaps that our most basic commitment that goes over all of these things is to walk in obedience to the Lord. Because, as Jesus says, we don't live by bread alone or by money alone or by possessions alone or by what we attain for ourselves alone. We live by the word of God. That's true life. right? And providing for our needs, physical needs, whatever they may be, is never to overcome that we live by the word of God. That's temptation number one. <clears throat> temptation number two is in verses 5 through 8. I call this the temptation to self-serving glory. Verses 5 through 8, the devil takes Jesus up and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he promises him that he will give to Jesus all the authority and glory that's been given to him and he can give it then to Jesus if Jesus will just worship him. If he'll just worship the devil... He will give to Jesus all of this personal glory. So <clears throat> the goal then is to gain a glory. And what's the cost? Just a little bit of devil worship. Just a little bit, but you'll get glory and authority for yourself. And Jesus quotes to him, Deuteronomy 6.13, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. <clears throat> now, you may think on first reading of this temptation, think, well, okay, this one is pretty unique to Jesus in this sense. I don't ever feel this temptation. I don't deal with that. Satan has not recently sidled up next to me and offered me all the glory of the world if I would just bow down to him. Maybe, but maybe not. I would actually suggest we face this temptation pretty regularly. There's the temptation to seek glory for ourselves in a way that is self-serving. 
right, in a way that ignores our most basic commitment, again, to walk in obedience to God. There's a temptation, and this is a temptation that, that we face regularly, right? For me, to seek the kingdom of Jeff first, rather than the kingdom of Jesus first. Right? And for you, to seek the kingdom of fill-in-the-blank first, and your needs, your desires, your glory, regardless of whether or not you can do so while walking in obedience to Jesus. Let me try to give an example. Imagine that um, perhaps you're offered a promotion at work, and it's a promotion that would come with a nice little pay raise, and it would be a promotion to a very well-respected position. It's a position where you would gain a lot of glory, perhaps. Right? The respect, the admiration. This would be the position that you've always wanted to be in, but there's just one little catch. You just need to engage in perhaps the tiniest little bit of fraud to make it happen, to get the job. Right? In order to make, you know, to kind of grease the gears to get that accomplished is just a little bit of disobedience. Now, think about that decision. In that case, you're choosing between, on the one hand, you're being offered respect, authority, money, glory, and what's the cost? In order to make that happen, would you be willing for just a moment to worship the God of money, to worship the God of power, to say, I will seek first the kingdom of, of respect and glory in order to make that happen, and I will seek that kingdom and I will obey the God of that kingdom for just a moment rather than seeking first the kingdom of God and saying it is God and him alone that I worship and him alone that I obey. And so I'm, I'm not willing to disobey in order to attain glory for myself. These turn out to be temptations we feel pretty regularly. Um, it's probably different if you're a kid. right? But imagine if uh, you're in school and you're taking a really important test at school. And if you do really well on this test, you're going to make the honor roll, Right? You might be honored at school. Maybe your parents promised you that if you got an A on this test, they're going to buy you a car. Right? It's really important to you that you do well on this test. That's a lot of glory that's coming your way. But you get the test, and you realize, uh-oh, I didn't study the right material for this test. The only way I'm going to achieve all this glory is if I cheat just a little bit. Right? It's the same temptation. There's all this glory that awaits if we do well. But the only way to get it is to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cheat. I'm going to set aside my obedience to Jesus. I'm not going to seek his kingdom. For the moment, I'm just going to purely seek the kingdom of self. What is good for me, what I desire, what sounds good right now. And we have to decide, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Are we going to feel that temptation to cheat? And then say, I'm going to say to myself, no, I shall worship the Lord my God only. Him only shall I serve. You see, and that answers the question for us. Just like Jesus is saying, who am I going to serve in this moment? Am I going to serve God, worship him alone, or am I willing to serve the devil? Or am I willing to serve my own desires? Am I willing to lay down all of my standards and principles for one moment of self-serving glory? And the good news is that in the midst of that temptation, Jesus is there to help you. Right? Because in all of our temptations, even though the details are different, Jesus says, yes, I've, I've dealt with that one. Yep, I, I know what that one is like. I've been there. I've heard that temptation from Satan himself whispering in my ear. And I know what to do. He will help you in that moment to obey. 
The third temptation in this passage in verses 9 through 12, I call this the temptation to use God for our own purposes. Because here Satan takes Jesus and he takes him up to the pinnacle of the temple, the highest point on the roof, and he gives him this really strange request. He says, jump off. Jump off the highest point of the roof and surely God will save you. He'll dispatch his angels at just the last moment and they'll catch you before you hit the ground. It's an odd temptation. It's an odd temptation, isn't it? We see it the way it starts. If you say um, verse 9 there in the middle of the verse, it starts the same way the first temptation starts. If you are the Son of God, if you are, so first he's going to make Jesus, well, he's going to try to make Jesus doubt his identity. I doubt who he is. Because if you are the Son of God, prove it. Prove yourself. Prove what you can do. But it's a weird temptation. And we, don't, we think, what is the temptation here? I think the temptation is to use God to do a really weird party trick. Right? Jump off the roof and have him catch you. You're not accomplishing anything by that, except you're putting God to the test. Right, just to show off that you can do this. And he responds, therefore, with Deuteronomy 6.16, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Here's how I phrase this temptation for us. The temptation is to use God rather than to obey God. Right, the only thing Jesus is being tempted to do in this passage is to live the way he wants to live and to use God to sort of support that. Right? Say, what I want to do is to be able to jump off the roof and God will catch me. Right? Nowhere in Scripture am I commanded to jump off the roof, but this is how I'm going to live and I'm just going to think that God will support me in my desires. Right? It's a temptation to use God rather than to follow and obey God. It's this temptation to treat God as though he's like this cosmic get-out-of-jail-free card that we pretend that we just have God on our side and therefore we seek our kingdoms and we do our will and we do what we want and somehow God writes the check for it all. Perhaps we think that the purpose of serving God is so that he gives us a good life. Or we think the purpose of serving God is so he gives us an easy life. Right? The purpose of serving God is so that we can put ourselves in these weird situations and he gets us out of them. See, we all fall into that trap from time to time. When we say it out loud like that, I think we recognize how crazy that sounds. We recognize... How could I be so weak? How could I be so foolish to fall into that temptation? And that's part of the point, is we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that, yes, we are not as strong as we think we are. We are weak. We, we do fall into really, really crazy temptations sometimes. We fall into things that we like to think we should be better than. And yet, we do these things. And therefore, one of the realities of temptation is that it will always teach us over and over, day by day, to look to Jesus. And I wonder if that's not God's purpose in allowing sanctification to be a day-by-day process, not a once-for-all accomplishment. I wonder if that's part of the purpose that God would do something like allowing temptation into your life. Because the, the thing that temptation does for us when we allow it to teach us this lesson is that it causes us to be constantly dependent on Christ. Temptation is a great reminder of how weak we are, isn't it? Temptation is a great reminder that we are not self-sufficient, isn't it? 
Temptation is a great reminder that we need help beyond ourselves. We need someone stronger. If it's up to us, we will fall and we will fail regularly. We'll give in to these sins. But in the midst of that, the gospel speaks a better word to us. And it says, you are not saved because of how strong you are. You are not saved by the power of your willpower, your ability to resist sin, your ability to walk in the strength of your own holiness. The gospel says, recognize your weakness, repent and admit, acknowledge your sin, and look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, who when he was tempted, walked perfectly. He never sinned. He never failed. And he did that for you. And that is now your righteousness before God the Father. See, the, the, the passage, it gives us hope two ways. It gives us help. <clears throat> it gives us help knowing that Jesus walks beside us. But it also gives us hope knowing that Jesus walked here for us. So that in the midst of our temptation, we have help. We can make progress. But regardless of our progress, we look to Jesus and we claim that we are saved purely by the righteousness of somebody else, not by our own righteousness. And so temptation keeps us humble. Right? God uses these things, not to make us sin, but to keep us humble, to keep us dependent on Jesus in everything. And friends, there is a day coming when there will be no more temptations. There's a day coming when the battle will be over. There's a day coming... What a wonderful day that will be when these things will be no more. And in that day, we will walk in Jesus, in the glory of Jesus, in the light of Jesus. But until then, we lean on Jesus. We trust in Jesus. We fight these battles with a high priest who walks beside us, a big brother who knows what it's like. We're never alone in these battles today. So friends, if you've ever been tempted, be encouraged. Look to Jesus. He is at work in his people. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for Christ. Lord, we thank you that we are saved by the righteousness of someone far greater than ourselves because we know our own weaknesses. We know our shortcomings. Lord, we feel the, the power of temptation. We know how often we fail. And yet, in Christ, we don't despair but we hope in him, we cling to him, and we say, Lord, we come to you with nothing in our own hands, nothing of our own righteousness to cling to or to point to. We just plead the blood of Christ. We plead his death as our life, our salvation and our hope. So Lord, we pray that you would use this passage in our hearts this week. Use it for our encouragement, use it for our help, and yet use it over and over again to turn the eyes of our hearts to Christ. For his glory, we pray. Amen.